listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love, your host, and thanks for joining me on the show. This is our 100th episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being a part of it. You know, some people had a pandemic pet or a pandemic puppy. I had a pandemic project, and that was this podcast. I guess you could say this, my pandemic podcast. It was, I think, in April of 2020 that I dusted an old feed off the shelf. There was an existing podcast I'd done for the recruiting industry since 2008 or 2009. It had been dormant for several years. I changed the focus to the topic of rainmaking, and here it is. Thank you for being a part of it, and thank you to all of our guests that have been on this show. And remember, you've got about 50 hours of free content you can go through. Make sure you scroll through previous episodes because a lot of the content is evergreen. Let me talk about our guest today. We have Kate DeLeo, who is a brand architect, and she has partnered with more than 200 organizations to craft brands that bring more prospects to the table, more users who click, and more customers who buy. And our topic today is discovering the three key brand components that help you win work. Kate's doing a great job on this show, so pay attention. There's some great rock-solid ideas I think you're going to get a lot of value out of today. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening, and here's Kate DeLeo. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guest today is Kate DeLeo. And today we're talking about how to discover the three key brand components that help you win work. Kate, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. So I always love talking to brand experts like you, especially the people that are able to parse it into certain building blocks that can help professionals really understand what a brand is and how it can help us win work. And I love the fact that you connect it to the result, to winning work. Yeah. So kind of walk us through this structure of your thoughts and how we can build a brand that helps us win work. Absolutely. And so, you know, what I love about working with people in the service industry is I think what we often think of as branding, let's just call out the fact that many of us consider brand to seem kind of like fluff, but really it's not. I think that if we actually get down to it, Our brand message is our path of least resistance to revenue. And what I mean by that is I think, Scott, it's the ability in that first 15 seconds, whether somebody hits the homepage of your website, whether you're in the Zoom room talking to them, you're shaking hands at a Chamber of Commerce event, when you can tell them, this is what I do, this is how I solve your problem, and this is how I'm different... Those are the three things, right? That's the stuff that's going to get the other person to go, okay, now that's interesting. I want to have a conversation. I want to take the next step. So let me ask you this then, kind of before we go into those building blocks, when's the right time to really tell them about this? What's been your experience on that? I think it's really the front end. It's really at the beginning. So whenever you're first introduced to somebody, whenever you are first kind of putting your message out there into the world, your brand is your leader in the marketplace. And the reason I say that is because it is the the layer of information that somebody needs to know before they actually care about learning the deep details of your products and services. And I find it fascinating. Often we go, well, how come so-and-so isn't just fascinated by all the technical components and all the deep dive stuff that I can do? And I say, well, 
if you think about it, we haven't really answered a couple of key questions based on buyer psychology for them to even care yet. And so mm-hmm. that's the job of your brand. Get them there quickly in 15 seconds by telling them those three things. This is what I do. This is how I solve your problem. And this is how I'm different. That's great. I like that. Your brand is your leader. Is that what you said? Is that right? Yeah. Your brand is your path of least resistance to revenue. Okay, it is good. the absolute job to get more prospects to the table. <laughs> Let's kind of go through those three mm-hmm. key components one by one. Let's talk about those. Absolutely. Okay. So there's three key things when we think about how does this actually work tactically when you're writing a message? Because I think it's one thing to talk high level about these concepts, but let's let's break it down. Okay. Right. Good. When you're writing a brand, you may have heard ta- something called a tagline. Well, your tagline for your organization, Scott, whether you are a solopreneur or you have a large firm, your tagline is supposed to answer the question. What do you do? I blank. I tagline. I build brands that win more work. That's my tagline. Right. So your first line of defense in your brand is a tagline that clearly answers the question, what do you do? Well, the follow-up, the second component that's supposed to then come next in your message, whether it's verbally or on your website, is what we call a value proposition statement. And we, okay. sometimes we hear about this term, but in the world of marketing and messaging, A value proposition statement is the statement that actually kind of smacks you between the eyes a little bit and calls out your pain. It's the sentence, if you've ever gone to somebody's website, that you almost go, oh my gosh, these people get me. It's really supposed to say, I understand your pain and this is how I solve that pain. So number one tagline that answers the question, what do you do? Number two, a value proposition statement that clearly articulates, this is how I solve your problem, your pain. And then the third and final piece of that is once somebody hears or reads those two things, it's a set of differentiator statements, sometimes called like your three uniques. But really, I really just want to see bullet points, the one, two, three, maybe four. of How are you different and better than the rest, than the competition? Right, right. And so what are we looking for here with the differentiators? And and I want to go back to some of the other things you mentioned also. But what what are some examples? Is it time and grade, tenure in the industry? Is it educational background, niche development? What what are some of the things that you It could be any of those. For example, Mm -hmm. for mine as well is the fact that I take an educative approach. The fact that my process only takes four to six weeks to complete versus many marketing agencies that take 90 days or longer. Or for example, I only have a singular focus on brand message only, and I don't try and do everything for everybody. So let me me go back. (laughs) This is good. So Okay, so what was the first differentiator that you gave? Educated approach. I take an educative approach. I teach you. Okay, so (laughs) okay, so we could say that just even how we do what we do. Correct. Yes. So so can we maybe segment those into categories? of differentiator variables. One of them could be process related. Is that right? Absolutely, Scott. So categories of differentiators could be process. Okay. If you have a proprietary process, Mm -hmm. maybe you have an absolute efficiency of speed to market or speed of delivery for your service. So speed is another key one. The other one is potentially price. Sometimes I do see people in the service industry that say, listen, compared to the competition, I'm delivering the same value and I'm 30% cheaper. Well, depending on your market, that is critical. Right. Okay. What about educating and collaborative approach? What about how you view the relationship? What about expertise, your education, your background? If you're an expert in your domain, you've worked with three other clients, call it out, right? Right, right. 
those are all types of differentiators. And what we've used within our firm, because we do recruiting for law firms, I'm on the board of a trade association of legal recruiters. I speak to industry conferences within the legal industry. So we use that as a way to build credentials with our prospects, with prospective candidates and clients. What's different about us is that we're known in the industry. Something else we use, we use the relationships and the depth of the relationships with our clients. For example, I'll talk to a candidate about a firm and I'll say, I've met with the chairman. I met with the executive team. I gave a presentation at one of their recruiting conferences two weeks ago. That's what's different about our approach. So I like this. You have process, your price, your approach, how you view relationships. Could you even say that your value system, could that yes. be a differentiator? Your value system can be a differentiator. I think that's a critical component. The other things that I would really tell you is apples to apples. If you were to think in your own mind, if you're listening to this and going, I don't know if I know what makes me different because everybody talks about trust and everybody talks about relationships. I want you right. to think about, well, hold on. If you go back to your existing clients and you ask them why they chose you over somebody else, what would they say? Oh, wow. wow Have you actually great. asked them? Have you ever thought about what, what were the, some of the anecdotal things? You hear the stories from your clients and they say, gosh, you really just, you showed up in ways that I didn't think my service provider could show up. You treated me like a human and not a transaction. What about yeah. things such as, hey, Kate, I get this one a lot. You actually taught me how to implement my brand. Everybody else just delivers a strategy, but you give me tactical implementation details. I want you to think deeper than maybe what we think surface level, such as trust and relationships and go, what's really going on that somebody wants to stay with you and work with you? Yeah, That's the promise of your brand, what you do, how you solve their problem and how you're different. That is your brand. And all of that sets the stage for a point of readiness where someone hears that and they go, okay, I got it. That makes a lot of sense. Now then, Scott, tell me how you deliver on that promise. Tell me your packages. Tell me your pricing. Do you have a proprietary thing that you do? And that is actually, if you were to think about this from a website, Scott, that's the point on the website where somebody clicks to watch your explainer video or clicks to go to your product or service page. Let me go back to number one, the tagline that answers the question of what do you do? Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, when I see that, I think, gosh, that's pretty simple. Should it be simple? Should we add some complexity to it just to show that we're pretty fancy? And, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, because well, it's pretty simple, right? <laughs> it is simple. My tagline is building brands that win more work. I think you right. should be provocative, but I think you got to get to the point. I think especially in B2B services, there's really a rule of thumb that we need to be as direct as possible to answer the question, what do you do? Right. More than ever compared to B2C markets, B2B your customers just want you to get to the point. Yeah. I'll tell you this, you know, somebody asked me the question, why can't I have a tagline like Nike's? Just do it. Right. And I asked them, <laughs> hey, how big's your marketing budget? And they just kind of looked at me and I said, how many years do you think it took for Nike to evolve that tagline and put that into the market with millions and millions per year? Right. B2B, we need to stop worrying about sounding cool and instead get to the point with the tagline that's provocative and clear about what we do. And if you can say that in five or six words, you hit the nail on the head. And let me talk more about then the value proposition statement. We've got our tagline. We want to be Mm -hmm. as direct as possible. Kind of help me understand this, the value proposition statement. You mentioned that's how you solve the pain. Is that correct? Right. A great value proposition statement really says, Bob, here's the truth, or the reality is, Bob, dot, 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 
This is what I know you're dealing with. Now, Bob, here's how you can fix that. Take this action with me, partner with me, and I'm going to help you solve that pain. It's really a combination of a statement that says, here's the truth. And now here's the action you should take to get that pain solved. Hmm. It is honestly, have you ever gone to somebody's website and you're like, they just read my mail. Oh my Lord, they get me. That is a good value proposition statement. You're like, whoa. And it should provoke you to want to keep reading. You're like, okay, this person, this is different. Hold on. Mm -hmm. Let me keep scrolling. So I I like how you've broken this down into three easy parts for us to understand. And when I see it like this, it makes perfect sense. Got the tagline that answers the question of what you do. Second is value proposition statement, how you solve the pain. And the third are your differentiator statements. And so let me ask you this. When you've worked with people and you've helped them understand this, what are the biggest challenges that they've had in understanding and implementing some of these ideas? Well, interestingly enough, it's very, very fascinating. When I work with entrepreneurs and founders and business leaders, one of the hardest things in writing our brand is actually stepping up out and away from it for a second because we're so close to it. And I think one of the things that's going to be really important is whether you decide to hire a marketing agency or a copywriter or hire your aunt Susan to do this, I don't care. (laughs) I really recommend that you find an outside person to come in that is a trained writer and help you wordsmith. Because have you ever tried writing an email? What's the tendency? We write these super corporate sentences, you know, and you're like, when you read that back. So I do think that the number one thing that I would tell people is find somebody that knows how to write and works in that industry. They're a writer. The other thing that I think is really hard, candidly, is owning our confidence. I think there's a tendency for us as, well, well, Kate, I don't want to sound like a pompous, arrogant jerk. How do I write a brand, right? That is true, but oh gosh, I'm relationship focused. So I don't want to come across like a slimy salesperson. Right. Okay. Well, here's the thing. There's a huge difference between having a brand that is provocative and one that is pretentious. Right. We need you to focus on the provocative. It's true. It's backed by data. If you have 300 clients, Bob, talk about the fact you've had 300 clients. If you have 16 certifications, you can talk about your 16 certifications. Let your metrics and your reputation stand. That is not pretentious. That's provocative. That's great. That's good advice. I think a lot of people could benefit by really understanding that. So when people have done this with you, Mm -hmm. what do you think are some of the surprising results? What's the most eye-popping, glaring, surprising result that you've seen when somebody did this? Okay. I love talking metrics because again, brand sounds very nebulous. So you go, Kate, hold on a second. Like, can I actually see momentum in my business if I spend any time working on my message? Kate, come on now. I'm just showing up and shaking hands and kissing babies. Well, all right. Let me talk to you about this because (laughs) there are some metrics that actually are impacted. Okay. Here we go. Number one, if your brand is on point, you should see a higher number of qualified prospects that come to the table. If you've done the work to clearly identify who the ideal buyer is and create a message that's going to deeply resonate at a heart level with them, you should see an increase in the number of qualified people that are even coming to the table to talk to you. The second metric is you should see a higher number of conversions. Meaning again, if you're, of course, if your message is on point, what's going to happen, Scott? What happens is that those people are coming to the table and going, yes, I get it. I want it. Let's go. Right. So obviously that means revenue, but here's the third hidden one. Are you ready? You should see a decrease in your sales cycle time. That's interesting. Yes, this is fascinating. So think about it this way. 
traditionally you're out there in the world, you're putting your message out, you show up, you shake somebody's hand at an event, right? Or you're in the Zoom room and they ask you what you do. And if you don't have your message on point or you're saying it 35 ways, you're creating confusion. Then they go to your website and stalk you later. You may have a totally different message out there. Really hard for them to know what's going on. So if they hold a call with you, they're still kind of in this mental discovery phase or just Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of you. But if your message is on point and you've articulated in 15 seconds what you do, how you solve their problem and how you're different, if they hold that call with you, they're no longer trying to figure out what you do. They're actually coming to the table further down the pipeline. They're coming to you saying, okay, Kate, I love what you said here. Now I've got this particular issue in my company. How can you solve that? Now that's a different point in the sales process, isn't it? Absolutely. So that's interesting. So you actually believe and you've seen that it will yes. decrease the sales cycle of people's yes. prospects. Absolutely. Yeah. This is time and again what we see in B2B services. It's fascinating. It does require you to be consistent with your message, but it's amazing when I see my clients that are just gung-ho about, I'm going to stick with my script when I show up. I stick with my script on my website, in my marketing. It works. It really works. So tell me a story then of people that you've worked with, executives, company owners. You don't have to mention names, but but what's an example of somebody that worked with you? What was their brand like before and what did they do differently and what was the result for them? Sure. Can I tell you, I probably worked to 20 different coaches <laughs> and, and they go, Hey, what do you do? They're like, I'm an executive coach. I'm a leadership coach. I'm like, <laughs> cool. Tell me more about that. Right. And I remember when I worked with one particular person and I was helping kind of adjust the narrative, we went from, I'm an executive coach to, you know, I help you shore up your people skills so you can shore up your revenue. Oh, wow. And we started talking about how his ability to help you coach up as a people leader was a direct correlation to improving revenue. And that was so profound for him that when he made that shift in the narrative, when he started connecting with leaders in the room, he was no longer viewed as a personal coach, but as an asset for revenue generation to the organization. Wow, that's a difference, isn't it? It is. So of course, he's going through these calls and instead of him getting through this process where the, the leader, the CFO goes, gosh, I got to go get this approved. And I got to ask, ask my manager for the funds. Uh-uh. All of a sudden people were coming to the table and he's like, here's the deal. Here's my budget. What can we do with this budget? I already got the okay. So he actually saw a decrease that instead of him closing up coaching clients in around 90 to 120 days, he was closing them in less than 60. That's fantastic. Yeah. What's another time you've worked with a larger organization? What have you seen when you've worked with larger companies as they've made these changes? As larger organizations in the service world make shifts to their brand, what I've seen very consistently is actually a really beautiful synergy between their sales and their marketing team that they've been struggling to make. One of the things that we know as you're growing your organization is that you're very, very focused on not only shoring up your sales team, but also your marketing arm of the company and trying to get those to work together as holistically as possible. But often it can feel like apples and oranges to competing priorities. Well, when you create a brand that takes into account the pain that you solve for the customer and how you're different and what you do, when, when that's really clear, you know what happens? The sales team is out there gunning, saying that singular pitch in the conversations. Oh, and the marketing's backing them up with the exact same pitch in email campaigns and in social and in advertising. So what happens is, is they're all using the same language. And by using the same language, all of a sudden, everybody rallies around a singular goal. Right. Cool part is, is listen, your brand is going to be a living and breathing thing. 
But if you're aligned, how much easier is it to make adjustments and tweaks to things if you need to change a word here and there? Sales team comes back and says, we tried this sentence and it worked. Marketing can go in and adjust it. That's really powerful. That's great. Now, let me ask you, what are some of the pitfalls people should avoid as they're going through this? Okay. If you're going to do any brand message exercise, Mm -hmm. less cooks in the kitchen, please. (laughs) I think the tendency is you're going to want 35 voices in the room. And what I would tell you is, I don't know anybody that can herd 35 cats. All right. right, So (laughs) what I would recommend though, here's a couple things. If you do this, always have the founder or CEO in the room. Okay, good. The reason that I say that is because your founder, your CEO truly does hold the keys to the brand. I've worked mm-hmm. with incredible CMOs, incredible marketing and sales leaders. And I remember earlier on in my days of doing this work, I would do projects and the founder was not present. And all of a sudden I'd get a call from the CMO two months later and one of them, she was sobbing and she goes, he threw it all out. Wow. And I, I was like, I feel your pain so badly. And we had to go back and redo the entire thing. And I learned a hard lesson. I remember this was about eight years ago. I will never take a project without the founder in the room now. That's a good, that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. Yeah. But but you know what though? How cool is it if you're in a leadership position and you want to make sure that you're following the right marching orders with your brand, whether you're in marketing or sales or finance, get your founder in the room. You guys are going to get so excited and aligned on what you're trying to say into whom. Well, I'm I'm excited about your book coming out. Thank you. And we're going to have you back on the show to talk more about that. But kind of give us a sneak peek, muting the megaphone. What does that title mean? And how is that going to help us? Sure. So this book is really my actual how-to guide, how I actually get in the room with my clients and the right brand. It is a fast and furious, tactically focused, 100-page book. It is a fast read. You can highlight the whole thing. But what we're talking about here is when it comes to your brand and your marketing, how do you stop telling stories and start having conversations? How do you shift your marketing and your branding from being all about you, one-way monologue, to creating a brand narrative that actually creates space for your prospect to have a conversation with you and want to come to the table? Yeah, wow. Can't wait to get it. Thank you so much. Yeah, And so what we'll do, we'll put links to reach you on the show notes and also your book as well. And as we kind of bring our time to a close, if you could summarize what you shared with us into three action steps, what are three action steps you think our listeners can take to really get started on integrating these ideas? All right. So number one, I want you to rally the troops. If you're saying, Hey, we're struggling to get prospects to the table. Hey, we've got a new product or service we're launching and we're not sure how to position. Gosh, our previous brand and marketing used to work for the last 10 years, but something's not clicking. My gosh, our sales cycle is really long. Okay, these are all things that I want you to pause. So step one is take note. Something might be off with your brand message, Mm -hmm. with your your brand pitch. Number two, I want you to go find an actual writer, somebody who writes for a living and can help you take the 35 ways that you talk about your company and wordsmith that in the one, two, three, because you do need somebody that they know the art of writing brand. And then number three, Make sure whatever you do, you have a brand that has these three things. Number one, a tagline that says what you do. Number two, a value proposition statement that says, here's how we solve your problem. And number three, a set of differentiator statements that say, this is how we're different and better than the rest. That's great, Kate. That's fantastic. And then tell us what you do and what would you like our listeners to know about your offerings? Well, thank you. So I 
do this work for a living. This is what I eat, breathe, and sleep. I geek out on this. <laughs> I've worked with over 300 companies globally over the last decade. And so whether you're a solopreneur or you are in an enterprise level company, I've worked with all sizes and sectors. And so if you're listening, you're going, gosh, we don't know how to do this. We need some help writing our brand and getting this down. I invite you to take a look at my website and learn a bit more about my approach, the way that I do a workshop to help clients get their brand nailed down in only four to six weeks. That's great, Kate. Well, I can't wait to have you back on the show. I can't wait to read your book. Thanks for being a guest on the show today, Kate. Thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.